How are you all doing today? This is the Jeff Salgado Show with my co-host, Mike Boyd. What's up, man? Not much. Pretty happy. It is Mother's Day, May 10th, Sunday. We are here in Sacramento, California. It is a balmy 77 degrees. Pretty badass. Today, we have a special guest in studio, Mike Alvarez from the tech death band, Flub. Could be more happy to have him on. We're going to talk to him a little bit later. So, how is your pandemic response team at your home <laughs> doing right now? Uh, my response team at home. I, I have to call Nina and find out because I'm not there. Oh, shit. Did I say that out loud? That is uh, your wife. Damn it. Fuck. I'm, I'm breaking quarantine. Uh, no, I, you know, I've just been at home really just honing in on my instrument, really practicing a lot. Just spending, you know, we have all this free time now. Use it. Use it for something right. Like, that's it. Like That's probably going to be the same answer for the next 200 weeks while we're on quarantine. Yeah. yeah, I played my guitar today. Well, a lot of people are opening up. A lot of states are opening up. Hopefully, California will open up real soon. We're hoping this week. And I um, I have been drawing my ass off. I got a new drawing coming out real soon. It's pretty sick. I got some more after that. I got a bunch of jobs in drawing, which I'm really happy about. So those will be out soon. And then... uh. Other Nothing that, you could talk about yet, right? Yeah, I can't because it's being commissioned. It's not right. my personal artwork. It's somebody else's I'm doing for them, which is I'm really honored. And it's it's going really good. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about thrash metal on this show, punk rock, death metal. And today we're going to we're going to venture down a little different avenue. We're going to go with the there's a lot of, you know, metal and music in general always progresses into something different. So in this instance, we have a uh, Mike Alvarez from Flub, and they are like a tech death progressive metal band that goes into all these different genres. Uh, music itself has changed in metal. I mean, dramatically over the years, you, you have so many uh, variations that have progressed from brutal death metal to technical to progression, and there's so many different bands, metalcore, deathcore, there's so many different kinds of blends of hardcore and metal and everything just comes together and whichever avenue it comes out is what you get and that's why i really want to focus in on flub they have a really unique style inside of technical music and sacramento has a huge following of bands that are like this so this is actually our first local sacramento interview and in studio we have today mike alvarez from flub how you doing mike oh it's going Awesome. We have him in studio. Stoked to have him here. So uh, how do you like this uh, weather that's going on right now? Dude, it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to to isolate and just like stay away from sunlight right now, but you know, apparently sunlight's necessary to feel happy. So he's trying to at least go out a little bit and feel something. Awesome. We're going to run down your career. Does that sound good? Yes, sir. So when did you start playing music and with who? So, kind of started playing music at the age of 12, I believe. Uh, started playing guitar because of my older brother. He necessarily didn't play guitar for too long. He was learning in school and kind of just let his guitar sit around. And I eventually kind of just started picking it up out of curiosity. He taught me a good handful of like songs and chords and kind of just took it from there. I then met somebody in seventh grade uh, who ended up becoming my first band member. Uh, it was because I saw him playing guitar in the middle of the quad back in the day, and he was playing Nirvana songs, and I was like big fan of Nirvana at the time. 
So it was just like, hey, we should jam out sometime. Let's do something. And all we did is pretty much just like jam Nirvana covers at home and just hang out every day and try to write some original material. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, eventually it, it led down to like around sophomore or junior year of high school. We kind of finally got a full band together. Uh, we played like some like house shows for some friends and like we played like a birthday party at Elk Grove Park. Uh, like horrible, like no rehearsal thing. Just sounded like a bunch of idiots. But uh, after that, we ended up kind of like getting our heads on straight and learning how to book shows. So that band uh, that eventually formed was called Nightmare in the Twilight. Nice. What kind of music was that? It's like metalcore. Okay. Um, I was trying to like, we had a, a weird like influx of sound because my guitarist that I worked with, he was really into like the post-hardcore music scene and metalcore stuff. And I was more into like just in general, like a lot of punk and grunge and thrash and stuff that's like a little more noisy. So we tried to incorporate some of those sounds into each songs, which we didn't do too well because we we're just kids. We didn't know how to really collaborate too too well on songs. But uh, that band, first show, first legitimate show happened, uh, I believe, in 2009. And we had the band around for, I think, a total of like three or four years. Nice. And the band technically is still active now, all like different members from the original days. But uh, Oh, they're still playing? Yeah, they're they're still working on material. They haven't necessarily played any shows, but gotcha. I, I know they're still working on stuff. Nice. But uh, yeah, I was part of that band. I, I left near the end of 2011, and I had a good a good period of about a year and a half of like not doing anything. I was just like depressed, and my my dreams are crushed after I quit my band. I was like, oh, what am I gonna do now with my life? Being what was me, and I'm just going to shows and hanging out with friends instead, and. In my time with Nightmare in the Twilight, I met you know, a lot of different bands, and uh, I met a, a guitarist of this band called Beyond All Ends. His name was Eloy Montez. And as the time before I quit my first band, I was kind of in the, the motion of learning how to do vocals, is like just trying to use my voice. And it was more for my own personal wanting to write stuff on my own and trying to be able to do every instrument I can. And... Uh, his band had a, an open space for a vocalist, so I decided to kind of try out and see what was going on. And me and him both ended up quitting both of our bands around the same time. And we had that whole year-long period of just hanging out, going to shows. And there was this one show we went to that was uh, it was at the Boardwalk. I believe it was The Contortionist, Reflections, uh, Within the Ruins. There was a couple like different like just style bands. And me and Eli went really drunk to the show and... We had this whole instance happen where uh, somebody who was, you know, those people that go running around punching people for no reason at shows is oh, like yeah. uh, crowd bashers. Right. Dude runs up on Eloy and like straight up just like clocked him square in the face, broke his glasses and broke his nose like immediately. And like oh, wow. Eloy just saw red and like went for it and like, you know, went back at the guy and guys homies jump up on them this big like crowd just like attack going on and i ended up running up in there and me and eloy both ended up like you know getting everybody just fucking separated and we all get kicked out of the boardwalk and sitting outside covered in blood and wow after that we were talking like dude like we're like you know it kind of really solidified our friendship and like we started talking after that about how we both miss playing shows and how we feel we needed to do something in the music scene because we were just kind of sitting around, just you know, doing nothing, making it a waste of whatever talents we've already worked towards. And 
after that, we decided to go with the idea of starting Flub. And from there, we just hung out for weeks. And uh, I remember just hanging out at my mom's house and him playing on his guitar pro and playing on acoustic guitar. And we're just talking about different song ideas. And uh, we ended up, yeah, pretty much writing three songs. And it's, it's funny because he, he spent all this money to buy a, a seven-string guitar so he could write these songs because so he never had a seven-string before. Nice. And when it came time to record, we had no money, so he had to sell that guitar so we could pay for recordings. Oh. And then we had to borrow a friend's seven-string just to record those songs. <laughs> the old switcheroo. And then, you know, give the homie his guitar back after we finished the recordings. And it was just us as a two-piece just, you know, trying it out, seeing what we could actually come up with. And uh, it was a pretty crappy demo, but people seemed to have liked it, and they saw some potential on it. And around the time of this formation of th this material, we, one, didn't have a name for Flub. We were kind of still joking around with different names, but I was writing solo material at the time that I just, like, wanted to kind of get out as a guitarist, and... I had met a, a drummer on a tour previously when I was on tour with my band Nightmare in the Twilight. Uh, his band Enslaved the Creation uh, played with us in Oakland, and uh, I ended up talking to him online for a long time, and I just posted uh, openly saying that if anybody who's doing session work, I'm trying to find somebody to play uh, drums on a song. And he, uh, Jared, hit me up. Jared Klein. Yep, Jared Klein, legendary little little mastermind. But uh, Jared awesome. came down was it on my 21st birthday, to come record uh, these songs with me, but the same guy who ended up recording like the the flub stuff. But uh, brought Jared in the studio and seeing his professionalism and how prepared he was, and Eloy was there just hanging out since we were just hanging out every day. And after tracking my material, we just hung out for like two days straight and got drunk and showed him like e Eloy likes to do this thing where he shows everybody everything he's ever written like all in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> So we ended up, you know, coming on the, the the flood material and showed him, and he immediately was like down for the project. He was really interested, and the rest is kind of history from there. We took the band and made it a serious thing, and yeah, so now what, we're like six, seven years in. So what did like you guys that. do uh, with Flub? Did you guys uh, release a full length after that, or did you tour first? Um, with Flub, we we did that first little crappy three song demo, and then we. We had a, a single that we wrote because we wanted to be taken a little more seriously as well as having a drummer now instead of having programmed drums in a demo. We wanted to showcase Jared's skill and have like you know, a real full-sounding song. So we went to go record a single. We had a, a lineup of um, was uh, our second guitarist. His name was David Kloss. He played for a local band called Flower Violence, kind of like a, a grind progressive death metal band. And uh, our basis at the time was... Uh, uh, the basis for Eloy's previous band, Beyond All Ends. And we got together and wrote a single and saw what it could do. People kind of paid attention to it. And from there, we wrote an EP. Uh, David only lasted two shows uh, from then on in. He he had to step down from the band. He just wasn't necessarily as dedicated as we were. We're trying to acquire people who are trying to tour and trying to make this a little further. And I feel David... David knew that, but necessarily wasn't sure what he wanted until we started showing how much dedication we had. So sure. we ended up parting ways with him, and then we acquired Victor, uh, I believe, about a month later. Uh, our guitarist, Victor, I found him. Uh, he came to the first two Flub shows and was like showing a lot of support online. And 
Victor Hansen. Yep. He uh, <laughs> he had some online projects that he was working on, and I went to go work with him to help him film some stuff. And he, I didn't know he was really like a fan of our material until I got to work with him in person. He told me like he like pretty much learned our songs and like put a cover online. So I told him, hey, you want to try out? And you know, we ended up having him come in and. and it, He's here with us now. <laughs> yeah, he's such a sick guitar player. That's really good. You guys got a lot of talent in that band. It's yeah, it's loaded. I feel like, well, one thing when me and Eli started this project, it was definitely um, here in the music scene, I feel we were um, kind of the underdogs in a sense. People people saw the previous projects we did, and they saw the failures that we had. So it, it felt like, you know, we necessarily weren't the people that – were being looked at in the scene. We weren't people who were really making any sort of waves. We're just kids, you know, sure. in everybody else's eyes. So for us, we felt this was kind of our time to try to show what we could do, try to hold our own in the scene, because you know, we got all these dudes like Gabe Sieber, who's like, you know, amazing drummer, and he's touring with all these other bands and all these other friends in the area, like Conducting from the Grave. And like for us, we just wanted to show these guys that we ourselves can you know write good material and like not be looked at as kids so since then we've tried to step up our game and do what we can to make ourselves at least known in the scene and yeah it's kind of gone that way for a while so when did you guys release your first full length first full length was released last year okay uh, it was technically written six years ago <laughs> gotcha because i know there was like some it was a yeah. timeline thing going on there yeah there was a lot that kind of went wrong um since we had released, uh, after doing that initial single, we we released a three-song EP that did pretty well. It was, like, premiered on Metal Injection, and, like, the, the dudes in Metal Injection, like, overhyped on the, the headline. This is back when people were, like, first doing the clickbait stuff, and the dude put, like, technical death metal done right. And, like, you know, all these metalheads got to go check that out so they could say no. So, Aww. like, it, it helped us. People had to go check out what... what this post was about and uh our our ep itself sold 150 copies as a band who didn't like you know had no real legacy going on it's like pretty cool pretty good 150 copies right off the bat and in this day and age that's pretty good when everything's being streamed for free you guys oh, yeah. are actually selling units it's pretty good now um did you guys you guys were all in predominantly different bands as well right oh yeah okay what were some of those well uh yes yeah, because um yeah, at that time when we we're still doing this first EP, like Jared was still with Enslaved to Creation. I do believe this is around the time he did join Psychosomatic. Right. And Victor was working on a solo material with a, another friend online called I Am the Construct. And I was still trying to work on solo material as well as just kind of like fishing myself around the, the, the local scene, seeing uh, if anybody needed fill ins for other things, just try to get more experience out there and see what I could do. Uh, it wasn't until we ended up re-recording that first demo uh, that we had did as a band, uh, re-released that, and we had started to work on the new album. Uh, we wanted to put out this album and get everything in order to kind of you know make a stamp and put it like you know put it out there for people. And this is where things started falling apart for us. We uh, at the time of us working on this album uh, is when we all kind of started working with other projects. Uh, Eloy was picked up by the band Vale Nath from Colorado, and nice. this is around the time they were working on their album too. Right. And Eloy, 
uh, I don't know why he didn't fly. I, th I guess he thought it was more efficient to drive to Colorado all the time. But he drove to Colorado back and forth doing, like, these, like, sessions and, like, recording and playing shows. And he did a couple tours with the band, or I believe one tour with the band. And during that time of him doing that is when Jared got the offer to start uh, doing Rivers and Isle. Right. And once he started doing Rivers and Isle, he flew out and he started working with them as well. And he started doing other tours, other session work with other people. And then this is around time I felt like stagnant because my other two band members were like doing so much. And I saw uh, some friends of mine in the Bay Area, their band called Aether. Uh, they've been around for a while too, kind of like deathcore, metalcore stuff. Yep. They had just parted ways with their vocalists and they had several fill-ins for some other tours, but they were looking for somebody more solid. So I hit them up to try to try out. I ended up not making the cut, but I did a tour with them. But after that tour with them, I kind of like, I still was sitting at home while my guys were doing other things. I just like was losing my mind. Was like we're, we're not doing anything flub related anymore. Everybody was so busy. So over time, I ended up just hanging out with a bunch of different friends and just seeing what, what else was out there. And uh, somebody who was my neighbor for a long time, his name's Andrew Lamb. Uh, he is the provider of the band Ultra Beast. Nice. Uh, I was working with Alter Beast behind the scenes as just like a media guy, photographer. Uh, I've known Andrew for a long time, and we like he needed just help like filming material for their like new name change and like the announcements that they're going to be doing. I did their band promos and was kind of there just like helping see what was going on. And that was that was from their name change from Gary Busey Amberler, right? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So like during that transitional period, that's like you know we, we were like hanging out a lot, and he lived like right across the street from me, so like it was just like hang out, smoke some weed, have some fun, you know, talk death metal. Nice. But around this point where my other band members were doing these other bands is when Alter Beast kind of was already falling apart for the first lineup. And at, at this point in time, Andrew had had the, his next album mostly written, almost like 100% like ready to go. And our discussion was that it would be more like, you know, he wanted just to track the album and see what would happen. He necessarily didn't want to tour or do anything. From my understanding, he, he didn't necessarily want to do much. But uh, after working together, we sat together for like four months, and I had asked to like audition, like see what I could do, because he had other vocalists in mind, and said, hey, like, might as well give it a shot. And he saw some potential in me and gave me the opportunity. So I spent like four months with him, like every weekend, just working on the album and working on songs, recording everything from home. And then from there, I believe um, it was uh, our friend uh, Seth Stone. He uh, he plays bass for the band Anonymous. Uh, he was our book, uh, the booking agent for Artery Foundation gotcha. and a couple other companies. He had his own like personal booking company around the time too. But he he hit hit us up and said like he wanted to see if Alter Beast was interested in doing any sort of tours because he had these other offers coming up. And we kind of decided, all right, like since this album's coming out, it'd probably be a good idea to try to at least tour off it, see if it could go anywhere, see what could happen. So from there, we acquired a couple of other people to join Alter Beast to at least test the waters, see what was going on. And from there, we acquired... Uh, uh, for the first lineup, it was... Nate Graham, uh, he now plays for the band Wastewalker as well as the Odious Construct. Uh, but when we acquired him, he had had his own solo project called Sepsis that he was just releasing online. And 
then we had a, a, a friend, uh, Chad, he was the old basis for a band called Lifeforms in the local area. They're kind of like a gent deathcore stuff. And we had like trouble finding a solid drummer. We had several people kind of like, you know, try out, not necessarily make the cut. Uh, but we ended up landing on a, a person that I met on the eighth year tour. Uh, is a guy named Nathan Bigelow. Uh, he plays for a band called Singularity out in Arizona. Nice. And uh, when we're first discussing who we wanted to play drums, like we kind of saw him as a possibility, sent him the material, and like immediately, like I feel like a week later, he sent us a video just like hammering out the songs like perfectly, and we're like, this is the guy. Sick. So we had Nathan come through. Everybody came through. We did the rehearsals, and we did the first tour, and first tour was pretty shot. You know, it was, it was tough. It was 16 days, and... There's a band that had a reputation that kind of fell apart for a second, so... Who'd you guys tour with? Uh, the first tour we had uh, for direct support, uh, this band from Canada. It was their very first time here in the States, but they kind of had, like, some MySpace clout. Their name was uh, Depths of Hatred. Nice. They're, they're still around nowadays and got new material coming out, too. Sick. Um, and you guys toured as support for them? No, they were support for us. For Alter Beast. Gotcha. Yeah. All this, right. This was the, the main mistake I feel Alter Beast had made was that we did a lot of headlining tours. <laughs> right. But, like, that first one out the gates was a headlining tour with, like, a whole new lineup and no new material. So, yeah, like, it was pretty hard because also said a band first time from Canada, never necessarily having the establishment in the States. So we had that, and then we had our friends in Eighth Year and Onimus to be support for the tour as well. So it was still a really fun tour. We had a great time. Uh, just the shows, turnouts were, you know, not the best. We had a good home show and a couple other shows. It was only 16 days, but... It was a good foundation to kind of lead what was happening next. Um, after we got back from that tour, we put the final touches on the album, got everything in order, and uh, we got offered another tour down that line with uh, Archaic and Inanimate Existence. Sick. And that, that was a full U.S. tour. That was my first full U.S. tour I got to do. We got to go all the way to, like, Florida and all the way back, and this is around Archaic's... Uh, was I think the the album's called uh, "A Cultivating the Masses" or yeah, so, something like something about the masses. I can't remember the name of it, but the right. name of the tour was called "A Cultivating the Masses" tour, awesome. and it was supposed to be for the release of the album. And uh, it was that tour we ended up uh, acquiring a different guitarist. Uh, Nate Graham wasn't necessarily up to speed on what we were doing for the for the new material, so we ended up getting Alan Burton. He plays for Symbolic out in Stockton. Sick. And he joined up with Alter Beast at that point. And we did that tour. He did really fine. We had a good time. And that tour itself was far more successful than the first one. So once that was over with, we all kind of like started preparing for the release of the album for the following year. Sick. How'd that go? Uh, it was pretty good, actually. Um, that first, the, the actual CD release tour, the first one that we did was very successful. Um, we played a sold out home show at Holy Diver, which is like, you know, I've never done that before. So that Very was cool. cool. And it was our first time meeting, um, meeting the guys in Inferi. Uh, we got a uh, dude, Malcolm, who owns the label Artisan Era. Him and his guitarist, Mike Lowe for Inferi both own that label and run everything. Uh, it was around this time, still Flub was in these, like, you know this weird uh purgatory of a sense of like just trying to get things done uh we started falling apart as a band since nobody was paying attention to what we were doing anymore and so we we started tracking this album six years ago and we had like a bunch of setbacks because like one 
the guy we were working with in studio, he like books months in advance and we booked a certain amount of days with him, but we couldn't get everything we needed done in that certain amount of days. So we had to wait, I think like five, six months to come back in to even start again. And we had setback after setback and it eventually stretched over to the span of four to five years while we're still doing other bands and the album just kind of got forgotten about. Oh, wow. Everybody kind of lost motivation. We, as friends, all kind of started dealing with some hardships. Uh, at the time with Victor, uh, Victor and us, we weren't seeing eye to eye, and we decided to let him go from the band. And it was at that point of Victor leaving, uh, we only we were only a four-piece, and we never rehearsed. So we would like just get offered shows randomly, and we wouldn't rehearse. We'd just go play them. Like not even seeing each other for months because we're all busy and we'll just show up in the same place, get drunk, and let's see what we could do today. So, yeah, it was pretty magical. We we didn't do good. Club. <laughs> yeah, like the the name has its own legacy, but. Uh, so what what so what happened with Alter Beast? Because I know there was some interactions towards the end of that. Yeah, Alter Beast. Uh, it, overall, I feel just you know small differences that kind of just added up over time. Uh, me and Andrew, we, we were good friends for a long time, but at, as of nowadays, you know, we don't necessarily talk at all anymore. But uh, the the last couple weeks of that tour, we had just a lot of hard times and a lot of attitude problems, and say we were just arguing a lot, and it made it very unenjoyable for everybody. Sure. And it, it sucked because like the last tour we did it was the most successful tour we had done as a band. Uh, up until the last two weeks. Right. Like, we got to do Rivers of Nile up in Canada during their release for Where Owls Know My Name. And if you've been paying attention to metal, obviously the album did really fucking well. Absolutely. And right. we we hit Canada around the time the states were having Summer Slaughter, uh, Devastation on a Nation. So Canada didn't have all these, like, cool packages coming out. So we went to Canada with Rivers. The shows are all packed. People great responses from all the bands all the bands did really well brought their a game and by the end of that run we ended in saint vitus in brooklyn and that show went off amazing one of like the best shows i've ever played in my entire life and then this is the thing that people like don't understand about tours is like you know there's a lot of hit and miss at times it's just like we went from like one of the best shows we've ever played in our lives to like the next day being like the worst show I've ever played in my entire life. <laughs> Why was that? <laughs> we played in Baltimore, and like, uh, well, like I can't. I don't want to say the name of this venue because I don't like the people who work there. But sure. uh, uh, fair enough. We had played there on the Archaic tour the year prior, and it was amazing. Like we had such good reaction, such a good time at that show. And then the next year, right, you know, this whole situation happened. We ended up playing in the same town, like literally a five-minute walk away from another death metal show that was a bigger show, bigger bill. It was uh, The Faceless, Discarnate, all these other guys, and like I was automatically just going to destroy our our turnout for the show in sure. general. Unfortunately, but, yeah. As we were at the show, um, they had a drunk sound girl who was, I believe, her first or second day on the job. Jesus. So Wow. One horrible, <laughs> she did a horrible job at everything. Right. But by the time we hit the stage, it was probably like one in the morning. And this lady was trying to hook up some equipment, and I, I'm telling her, like, yo, we got a, a DI box for the trigger and for samples, this and that. She says, okay, where's the DI box? I'm like, right there. I pointed at her. And she's like, okay. 
I'm like, do you have any extra XLRs for this? And she says, what's an XLR? Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that, that's where I lost. I lost it. I was pissed. That I, like, me, like, my guitarist, Andrew, he, he at times could have a temper, but he himself, this is the, the weird time where, for some reason, he didn't have a temper. He was staying reserved, and I was pissed. Right. And I go and tell him, like, dude, this fucking lady, like, doesn't know what she's doing. It's one in the fucking morning. I don't know what the hell we're going to do right now. And... He goes, oh, dude, there's the venue owner right there. Let's go talk to him. So we go talk to the venue owner, and this guy is annihilated drunk, like way pissed drunk, Shit. and he starts arguing with me and him. And we're on stage just trying to get stuff ready, and the venue owner comes up and starts talking shit to me and him and just being very disrespectful and, like, literally just killing our fucking vibe, killing our spirit. And, like, we had a good, like, five people there, and two of them, like, really good friends. That sucks. And, we're like, all right, it's like one in the morning. This lady doesn't know how to set up anything. There's like insane feedback issues. And we just toughed it out, played four songs, and just like, yo, all right, we're getting uh, off stage. Later. <laughs> That's it. That's all we're going to do for today, unfortunately. And like, thankful for those five people who stuck it out and still like, you know, we're being supportive and nice. Right. But that, that day was like incredibly frustrating. And it seemed like after that, it was like a domino effect of multiple shows that kind of kept having similar results. Sure. Right. And that, that followed up with us not making any money on the way home. We had literally, like, we're scrubbing by on the very bare minimum just to get back home. And it all led up to this boiling point all the way to we got to Arizona. Uh, we did a pretty good show at Arizona. It was one of the last ones they were doing. Uh, but uh, the van that we had was having issues and started just spewing out transmission fluid, and it oh, was man. looking bad. That sucks. And, like, from the, the week prior, we had, like, no money because, you know, it said no turnouts and shit, like, fucking pay. And, you know, it was just looking bad, no merch sales. So we kind of had this dilemma. We had two shows left over. We had one in Pomona and one in San Diego. And then we would go all the way back up to Sacramento. And it was my idea to just play the Pomona show and go home. Right. Because I feel... Staying out there for another day and risking this van breaking down. We don't have the money to get home. It's not a good idea. Business-wise, such a bad idea to stay out there. It'll just fucking murder us. It'll put the nail in the coffin. And we had an argument over it because Andrew, being frustrated initially after the Arizona situation, he didn't want to go to Pomona. He wanted to go straight home. And I told him there's no way we'd even be able to survive that trip home because it's even further from where we would have to go. Pomona, we had a, a, a decent guarantee of like, I think like 300 bucks or something. Yeah, it's enough to get home. Yeah, like it'll be just enough for us to even just throw oil in and just like rush right. home if we have to. You exactly, know? bare minimum. We had, uh, we had some friends on the bill in Pomona too uh, who were from the Bay Area and uh, our drummer Nathan left his drum set up in the Bay Area and I was living in the Bay Area as well. So I talked to them like, yo, like this is a bad situation for us. We are going to need some assistance going home because I want my, the rest of my band to get home safely. This van is not going to be able to make two trips through the Bay Area, then go all the way back to Sacramento. Then the van wasn't even ours. It's a friend of ours. So like I don't want to risk destroying this guy's van. It's not ours. We're going to have to pay for that, you know. Sure. And... As we made it to Pomona, our friends decided, yes, that they're going to be able to help us get to the Bay Area. So me and my drummer Nathan were able to store a drum set with their, their trailer and go back home with them. 
And our guitarist, Alan, at the time had his girlfriend following the tour for the last couple of days. So he was able to get a ride with her to get all the stuff and go home. So all Andrew had to do was just take the van and go home and be safe, you know, just haul ass home. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted to play the San Diego show. And I told him it's not worth it. There's, we only had like a $100 guarantee. The event page was shot. Like nobody was promoting the show. And it was like on a, like a Monday or Tuesday or something. Oh, totally worthless. Yeah, like, like, you know, I love playing shows and I hate canceling shows, but the situation at hand was not a safe situation for any of us. And Simple logistics. <laughs> yeah, like I, I myself at the time, I, I ended up like, I had already planned on trying to relocate, but this tour, I necessarily didn't have a place to come home to. And I had told all the guys when we did this tour in the beginning that, like, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice these kind of things if it's worth it. Sure. And by the end of that tour, it was showing that, like, I sacrificed a lot. And the first half of the tour was worth it, you know, but the last half, it showed me that, you know, I need to necessarily think out these decisions for us and try to do what's best for all of us as, as a whole. As in, our guitarist Andrew said he, he was just fighting me on this, this we need to play this other show. And that's where I, I kind of had that boiling point. I just said, I, I, can't, I can't do this. Like you, you are trying to do this, and, and it's not even for a good reason. And like, it's not even a reason of pride or wanting to play the show. It's a, a matter of it was an extra $100. And I've an extra hundred dollars over the risk of losing a van and being stranded and, you know, ruining everybody else's lives in the process, like wasn't worth it to me. So sure. it was at that point after our set, I decided to quit and we sat there, we told them, all right, this is the plan. This is the plan that I made up was to go home with these guys. These guys are going to go home. You just got to go home. And that's where we went our separate ways. And yep. Went home, bandless, and practically homeless. Thankfully, I had a girlfriend who was willing to let me into her place and take care of me. That's brutal. Yeah. That's that's the touring life, man. I don't think a lot of people understand. These guys are, you're putting yourself out there at like harm, you know, at oh, risk yeah. of harm every night, you know, with virtually little to no money. And everybody just thinks it's this illusion of, glamorous lifestyle when it's actually not and it's professional de- hobo right? <laughs> and dealing Pro with hobo. like the personalities inside of your band is another juggling act as well yeah and so so did you guys um you guys reconcile or what happened after that uh we did reconcile after that instance um necessarily when when i did quit it wasn't like we we're on bad terms i didn't want it to be on bad terms because you know i said i i've known this guy for a long time in my life and i, I did indeed care about him and they said, like, my main concern was for us as a whole, not sure, not in any way making this a personal ordeal. But yeah, as time went on, as of recent, you know, we don't talk because of other other reasons. But at that moment in time, yes, we did reconcile, and I ended up actually filling in for Alter Beast the next tour they did. I was technically out of the band. Uh, the tour, I believe, he had somebody else in line before me, but that person fell through, so he asked me, kind of, as a last ditched effort to make the tour happen and i agreed so i did Who was that with that was uh with continuum and yeah i think it was just us and continuum and our friends in eighth year uh the eighth year guys only did a couple of days with us and they went off to their own tour after that and this tour was only i think like seven nine days long so okay. nice little stretch up the coast and we did that one it was cool we like 
this was after obviously I quit and whatnot. So Andrew was a little more like on the business side of not really letting me handle like all this other stuff, you know, like before the other tours, I was very responsible for merch and making sure money and like it was all in order and whatnot and keeping track of some, some sort of numbers here and there. But as of this last one, he took the whole forefront of the business side and I just got to enjoy playing some shows and hanging out, which was nice. Nice. And then we did one last show after that. It was a memorial show for our friend Marco Silva. Right. And I, I figured, you know, like I'd rather do that as my last show because, you know, it's for a friend of ours that we all knew and we all cared about. And it would be a better way to kind of call the, the end of Alter Beast for myself. Right. Metal for Marcos. Yep. Metal for Marcos. Yeah. Um, so what about after that, you guys had the resurgence of Flub? Yeah. The, the, at this point, when I came back from that tour, uh, well, I came back from that tour after quitting. Uh, I I was incredibly depressed. I, I, I like, in my head... I thought to myself, like, this is the only project that would have a chance to tour and do things and be successful. Like, people, I felt like I let people down because there's so much, like, people, like, complimenting me about the album that we just released. And, you know, I didn't even make it a whole year after the album was released. It's a really good album. That that album's great. It it was, like, you know, something, uh, before I was in Ultra Beast, I, even now, you know, like, aside from me and Andrew not talking anymore, I still love the music. I love his writing. I could set aside his personality from his artistic view. And his sure. artistic view is one of my favorites, and it's always been. I wanted to try out for Alter Beast several times beforehand, and it's, I believe it was like my third time asking months later that I finally got the part. Gotcha. But, yeah, um, as time went on after that, I was incredibly depressed, and I just thought to myself, my, my music career is probably over. Flub's practically dead. Nobody's doing anything. And, like, you know, like Jared's off being successful and I don't know what anybody else is doing. So at that point, I ended up getting hit up by the band Depths of Hatred, uh, the band we toured with our very first Ultra Beast tour. And they had just recently parted ways with their vocalist at the time. So being depressed, I was only home for like three weeks and they like told me, yeah, we need this guy, like, we need a vocalist last minute if you could learn stuff. So I spent like a whole week just grinding out their material, learned their whole set. And then the week after that, I flew out to meet with the guys in Columbus and went to go do their upcoming tour with them. And that tour, it was um, this deathcore band called Spite. As uh, their their release for their album called Killer Be Killed. Sick. And the tour itself, um, it was a little hard on us as Depths of Hatred because of uh, it was supposed to be a mixed bill tour. So like there was supposed to be like uh, another band that was co-headlining, uh, like kind of hopping back and forth with Spite. Gotcha. As a shadow of intent, uh, but shadow of intent ended up having its own issues and lineup changes before said tour, and had to drop. Literally, as I flew out to Columbus, Ohio, we found out they were dropping. So at that point, we had eight rooting days with those guys: four to the tour and four after. But like we we're literally only a couple of days away from starting that, so we had no way to recover any of those shows. So we were stranded out in like Kentucky for like a day after rehearsing, and then we had to haul ass across the states to get to the first show in Salt Lake City. So with Depths of Hatred, we spent like five, six days on the road with no money, no income, going across the states and spending what we can to get to our first day of tour. And like we we actually even like stopped along the way at certain spots. Like we ended up getting a last minute show in in Kansas City. Uh, is uh, at the riot room 
there was only like five people there, but we got to play with one of our friends uh, in the local area called Sedlik Ossuary. Nice. So like you know, we at least got to see some friends, and then we ended up like having another day to kill there. So we found out that the next day was uh, Suffocation, Frank's last tour. It was coming to Riot Room. So we Sick. talked to the guys, like, hey, is there any chance we could probably play tomorrow too? And they're like, no, nah, but we get you into the show if you want to come hang out. So we end up staying for another day in Kansas City so we could uh, see the show and hang out and, you know, socialize with whoever we knew. But, like, we end up, like, hopping across all the way to this first day of tour. And, like, the tour itself, very successful, but not for us. And it's because... Depths of Hatred is more of a blast beat deathcore band, as in all these other bands are the beat down hardcore vibe of deathcore. So the crowd is obviously really heavy sided to those other bands and not us. Right. So we've had we had many shows on that tour where packed houses, but not a single one of those people gave a fuck about us. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> and like, it was it was crazy because there were good shows too. We did have shows that we had good strong reactions. It wasn't like every show was that bad, but if the band Shadow of Intent didn't drop. We probably would have had a more successful tour for our end because we would have had more death metalish fans out there who were down with that kind of intense style of music. So, well, on on this tour, um, for Flub, our bassist at the time, he was already pretty much like, you know, we're already falling apart as a band. He was like, yo, I'm not really feeling this anymore. I'm gonna kind of call call it now. So on the road. We have like a half finished album and our bassist quit. And the bassist I had uh, in Depths of Hatred, our the guitarist we had in Depths of Hatred, he was filling in. He's a bassist from Canada. He plays in another band called Becomes Astral. And he listened to the flood material while we're on the road. Whatever demos I had of the album, I was just showing off the music and he was really interested in it. And he, he was a booking agent as well. He was booking tours for Inanimate Existence that were coming up for their CD. And he said, I want Flub on this tour. I want you guys to be on this tour with these guys. And I told him, like, Flub's like, you know, we're like dying. We're not doing anything. And he kind of brought back the idea for me to really just like, after this tour, just put in the work and make Flub come back and we could have this tour. I'll give you guys this tour. You're already on the tour. Just make it happen. And if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have ever had the motivation to bring back Flub uh, when I got home. I did everything I could to work as many hours as I can, paid off whatever we owed our studio guy, harassed the fuck out of him to get the mixing and mastering done. And then from there, I remember meeting Malcolm from Inferi, uh, from the Artisan Era, and like we had discussed on those Ultra Beast tours of our other projects. We had a, a day where we just hung out and listened to everybody else's other music that wasn't on tour. And he showed some interest in Flub. He says, whenever you guys got the album ready, let me know. So. A year down the line, I decided, hey, let's see if he's still interested. You know, we'll see what's up. And yeah, he was—he seemed interested, but he had also told me that the album would have to be prolonged uh, to be like a way later release date. And I had told him that we needed this album out because one, like, we we're already pretty much dying as a band, and like, we need something to resurgence this whole fucking thing. And. Uh, at the time when he gave me the, the offer, he was like willing to take us, and I, I had to decline it because I told him we had that inanimate existence tour coming up. It was like around March or April of last year, and I was like, I need material out before this tour, or else we're gonna die on the road. Right. Nobody's gonna buy anything from us. Nobody's gonna know who the fuck we are. So at that point, I decided, sorry, we're gonna release this on our own, 
And it was about like a week later after that, Malcolm called me and he said, like, I really believe in this material and I believe it could do well. Like, we'll make it happen. Like, you're not going to be able to release it before the tour, but we could release it like right when the tour is done. So you have new material coming out while it's coming along. And yeah, he pulled those strings and made it happen. And now we're back as a full band. We're working hard on our new new album right now and trying to plan our next moves for after this whole virus is over. But yeah, it's been a painful road the whole time. <laughs> so what, what do you what would you classify Flub as? Like what styles of music that you guys uh, pretty much? Say, it's, it's a lot of different stuff. Yeah, like for sure. For for the most part, uh, Eloy's uh, the the biggest visionary out of the band. Uh, the collaborative sense of what we wanted the band to be was kind of whatever we wanted. We wanted to have a band with no barriers. Nobody could tell us what we sound like. Right. But now I feel we do have kind of our own sound of like. It's a mix of like progressive death metal with like you know Spanish and like different world music uh, influences. Eloy is very well like knowledgeable on just like so many different styles of music. He knows how to write and play all these millions of different instruments. So we try to bring that into our actual songwriting and throw like tech death in there and some deathcore stuff, stuff that we really enjoy listening to. It's like. That was one thing for us, like all of us in Flub, like you know all of us personally, we're all nerds, you know, we're not we're not those people who like look super tough death metal guys. We never have been, we never wanted to be. I don't know, you guys are kind of scary to me. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're on the dorky side of things and it's like, it, like I, I never been one of those vocalists either who likes to talk about, oh, murder and kill, blood, this, this and that vocals. And like we try to write stuff that's more like on the a very fairy tale feeling imagination vibe try to make things otherworldly and said just try not to sound like anybody else at the moment in time said i i love death metal i love cannibal corpse one of my favorite bands and like i can't see myself writing the same material that other people do because i won't feel genuine about it i feel like i'm knocking on everyone and i believe my the rest of my bandmates kind of feel the same we all try to just write what we feel and feel what feel out what feels right yeah definitely when i listen to flub it takes me somewhere it's not just all right i'm in a slaughterhouse you know it's yeah. just death everywhere no it's it's actually like you feel like you're on a journey and it matches like a lot of the artwork that you guys have on your records and your t-shirts and stuff so i totally get what you guys are doing i think it's great it's something totally different it's not formulated it's not the same old thing so it's really good great job thank on you, everything thank you. about it Hey, but thanks for sharing your story. Really appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully we'll have you guys in here again. And then, uh, you guys have any new and upcoming stuff coming out soon? Yeah, we're due to this virus and destroying everything that we all love, like you know, live shows and tours. <laughs> right. Uh, we're taking it upon ourselves to start preparing new material. We we were already in the talks of doing so since, like, all the material they released on the album last year is like six years old plus. Right. So like. We all, as musicians, are far more talented and experienced nowadays. So the goal is to right now to start working on a new album, Fuck yeah. and hopefully hit 2021 really hard and make up for this loss of a year. Absolutely, I'm sure you'll do great. All right, everybody, thank you, Mike Alvarez from Flub. Bye. And that was a pretty cool interview. You know, I can relate to a lot of what he was talking about. Um, the touring life, it's crazy. It's when you're out there, it's not like even if you're on a really sick package, sometimes it's not that great. I mean, when you're out there on the road, there's only so many Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. You know, if you're on a headlining tour or you're 
let's say you're even on a big package tour and everybody just comes to see the headliner and you're sitting there playing to a half pack, maybe less than half pack venue. And then there's certain nights when you're out there on your own, you might be lucky to have 10 people to buy a t-shirt or something or five people. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've done it. I've lived in my van. I've lived in our van. Uh, we've all crammed in there. I mean, it's, it's a really hard lifestyle. And then, you know, some, you live for the shows that are insanely awesome. And because those are, why you do it it kind of makes the rest of the shit worthwhile absolutely 100 percent. you know i mean a lot of bands i mean you're out there selling you're basically like a glorified t-shirt salesman i mean you know looking at the offspring <laughs> they've true. done a pretty good job i mean you're wearing one of their t-shirts again yeah <laughs> well man they made a lot they made a killing off of t-shirts i like offspring. what i like whatever <laughs> other than that uh we're gonna wrap this up we guys we got some new guests coming we're really thankful from all you guys that are listening, share, like, subscribe, follow, and we really appreciate everything. You can, and if, like Mike said before, if you guys want to hear it on a certain app or or website, let us know, and we'll see if we can work it out. Is the Google going to be ready? I had to contact customer service. It's a whole entire thing. They're working with me right now. Right. My uh, the customer service on our hosting. So. so we will get on Google. We will force that to happen. But thank you guys all for listening. We appreciate you, all of you. Stay safe, stay cool, go to the beach, love you, peace.